y'all want to do today? I didn't prepare anything. I just thought we would hang out together. Isn't that how you come to church? <laughs> it's like, I don't know what we're going to do. I, I preach 6,000 times. I don't want to preach today. I'm not prepared for anything. I don't expect anything to happen today. That's not true. I am prepared to share with you a word today. Hallelujah. And so, uh, if you can't preach today, you can't preach. But anyway. So, hey, look, I'm Pastor Van. I'm one of the pastors here at Northwood. Just privileged to be part of a great team of pastors and uh, three locations and more to come in the future. And just really, really excited about the Word of God. You know, it's our daily bread. It really is. And uh, if you've been reading through the one-year Bible with us, boy, if you read this morning, I'll tell you, John, he just threw it down today. Pow. How many of you... Heard John throw it down today. Don't answer me. I would get depressed and then I couldn't preach. But if you want to know how he threw it down, when you go home today, read your one of your Bible and you'll find out because I'm not preaching on that, but that's coming next Sunday. Wow. So today, we're going to share out of the book of Peter. Now, there were three main people who walked with Jesus. You know, Jesus had the multitudes. He had 70 people. He had 12 people, but, but he really had these three men who really walked with him. And you hear their names constantly in the, in the gospels. And that is Peter, James, and John. And what I'm, what I, what I realized this morning and read is that when you read the, the books that were written by Peter, James, and John, you find that they meant business with what was going on. And they all three had eternity in mind in everything that they were writing. It's embedded in everything they wrote. They were looking for the coming of Jesus and they were looking for an eternity and a city whose maker is God. That's what fueled everything they did. So I just want to preface everything we're saying today, today with this, that everything that you do and everything that you are is pointing towards eternity because life is so short. It's so short indeed. And so, uh, let me just share with you a, a vision I had many years ago. And I could share all my visions in about 10 minutes because I haven't had a lot of vision, but this one I did have. And, and I didn't, you know, I don't ask for a vision and you're not ready for a vision. You know, all the prophets of the Old Testament, it's not like Ezekiel was just sitting there saying, Lord, now I am a prophet and I'm waiting for a vision. No, it's all of a sudden the Lord takes hold of you and you see something. So I, I don't know where I was. I can't remember now, but I saw uh, just the, the whole picture was in white and gold, uh, white and gold. And, and there was just a myriad of beings like on the ground, like sort of like where you are right here. Just all kinds. I don't know if they were angels or people or both, but there were just these, these, and all of them had their hands lifted up and, and, and riding on the top of their hands, like, like in, in, a, in, a, in a fog, in a mist, was Jesus. And he, he was floating above the people, but not in a weird way, like not, not, not like in levitation, not, but just in this glorious ascent and then th this glorious entrance, like we were welcoming him in some kind of coming, some kind of great and grand entrance, and then it stopped just that quick. It's like 
for a moment, you, you get a glimpse of the glory of God, of how wonderful and how not only powerful, but, but, but you, you can't put words to who Jesus is now. Like eyes with fire and feet that are on fire like brass and, and a voice like many waters. How, what is that? How does that sound? So he, he, it was this grand entrance. And so today, I just want to share with you about the grand entrance. Because how many of you really and truly would love to have a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of God? All right. Well, how many of you would like your kids to get into the kingdom of God? Okay. So, you know, don't be a Pharisee. If you want your kids in, you go in first. Come on, dive in first and then your kids will follow you. And so, you know, it's, it's a, this grand entrance that we want to talk about. And, and really our goal today is to look and, and, and to, to make sure that, that we are growing and maturing in Christ's likeness so that when the time comes, whenever that is, and it will come, that there is a grand entrance. I don't want to just slink into the eternal kingdom like up against the wall, you know what I mean? Or trying to maybe get in the back door. Or, 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 or coming with my head uh, hung in shame. I'd like to just be able to go open-faced into the kingdom of God. Yeah. Amen? And so we're going to be in Second Peter today and uh, chapter 1. And I'm just going to read the scripture because the scripture sometimes just tells it like it is. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Man, we could just say amen and go home right there. Because God chooses people and speaks to people and then draws people to himself and then gives them part of his divine nature. Now, to some people, this is heresy, but I'm telling you that we have been given great and precious promises that by those promises, we partake in his divine nature. When the Holy Spirit indwells an individual, the Holy Spirit has the nature, is the nature of God, and fills the believer with this divine nature. I tell you, there's more to what is going on in the church and the kingdom of God than a lot of people even recognize. You gotta stop sometime and meditate on the greatness here of what is happening. And because we partake of this nature, I love what it says at the end here, that we escape the world's corruption that comes about by human desires or that comes about because people have desire for forbidden things. That's what's wrong with the world today. The world today is corrupt, meaning it's ruined because human beings desire things they cannot have. So it's wrong with marriages today. People desire things they cannot have. When you marry your spouse, you are married to your spouse and everything else in the relationship between you and another man, another woman, in, in any kind of intimate romantic, is forbidden. You're done, man. You are locked into one. And that's the way it's supposed to be. 
Certain, certain financial things are forbidden by scriptures. You know, every morning, Jan and I read the scriptures, and Proverbs is just an amazing book. When we read it, we, you know, after passing so many years, we've seen so many people violate Proverbs, and they end up exactly like the Bible says. In the same token, for many years, we have seen people who embrace the scriptures, who obey and submit themselves to the Lord, and seen them prosper, and seen them have grace to endure every hardship and still come out victorious. So the word of God is just great. And so we've got these great promises uh, that help us to escape the decay of this world because the world is decaying, folks, not just the physical earth. You know, I don't care as much about the physical earth as I do about the people who are caught in the world system. The physical earth is gonna have a lifespan. As a matter of fact, Peter says in his writings that it's going to burn up, that the sky's gonna be rolled up like a scroll and it's gonna be done. So, you know, I'm not a tree hugger, you know what I say? You know what I mean? I, I, I'm just not, I, I'm not that way, you know. I mean, I think we had a lot of trees. I mean, I drive sometimes for hours and hours and all I see is trees. And so they got a lot of trees and, and the oceans, I don't know about that. And I do recycle when we remember. Sometimes I'll recycle and it's so overflowed. I sneak, Jan, she's probably listening now. She's like a recycler. I mean, she's like the, the recycle Nazi. And, but sometimes I just sneak and I just dump that blue tub right into my big green can. I just do it. There's no more room. I have no more room. I need a can this big for recycle, and we need a trash can about this big because everything's recycled now. So I'm not that, but I do care about people who are decaying because our morals are decaying, our standards are decaying, our dignity is decaying, our, our, our religious and political systems are decaying. I mean, you know what's going on now. It's a mess. So we've got these great promises that we partake of God's nature. And so how do we respond to these promises? Well, in verse five, he says, in view of all of this, of what we just read, make every effort to respond to God's promises, <clears throat> supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. He said, because you've got these great promises, you've got the nature of God on the inside of you, you want to supplement your faith. He, he says faith is the foundation. So he wants us to eagerly respond to what he has done for us. He's given us faith. So today, if you would just think about faith as a house, but an empty house, but it's a house, a nice house. And now he tells us he wants us to supplement, or, or that word really means he wants us to furnish that house. And we want to furnish it with the right kind of furnishings. Uh, there are times I've been in homes that are custom-built homes, beautiful places. <clears throat> but it's like the people, they spent all their money to build a house, and now they don't have any money to furnish the house. <laughs> you say, I've been there. Yeah, you know, we've all been there. That cheap couch I bought that was, you know, it was nice for two days, and then it caved in. <laughs> and, and you walk in these homes, <clears throat> and, and, and the furniture just is not, it, the furniture doesn't match the home. You know what I'm talking about? An apple crate for the end table. 
and two beanbag chairs. Hey, we're getting, we're getting close to it. Keep trying, it'll get there. You'll get that pretty couch one day. Wait till after the kids are all, you know, after all the kids left and, and came back and left again, we, we got new furniture. So you want to furnish this. And so, you know, if you would just look at it as a house that we're furnishing. And then we're going to put some furniture in this house because we want to add to it. And really what we're talking about today, folks, is spiritual maturity of growing up in God, of becoming stable and secure. So he says, this is the first piece of furniture I want you to put into your house. Now, these seven pieces of furniture, I don't say that they go in chronological order, but it's the way the scriptures were written, and some of them make sense to be in a, in a certain order. But he says, the first thing I want you to add to your faith, I want you to add moral excellence. I want you to add strong morality. You see, when, when Jesus comes up into your life, and some of you can attest to this, things begin to change, your conscience comes alive, and all of a sudden, you're wanting to do what is right. Somehow or another, you, you realize, you see the difference between right and wrong, although we faked it, we all know the difference between right and wrong. Yes, you do. But all of a sudden, this, 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 this conscience is alive, and we find ourselves choosing the right way when we find ourselves in compromising situations. And you will find yourself in compromising situations if you live in this world. It might be a business deal, it might be an office politic, it might be something else, a financial thing, but you will be tested and your convictions will, will mount up, your conscience will begin to speak to you on what is right and what is wrong and you will answer that. These are moral convictions. This is moral excellence. The Bible calls it virtue. And many, many virtues are falling by the wayside. And, and so we need to understand that we want to align our values with God's values. Plainly put, we want to love what God loves. We want to hate what God hates. This is the way we need to live, folks. We want to align our values with God's values. The morality that we live in must exceed the morality of a world who does not know God. Did you hear that? My morality must exceed the morality of a dying and decaying world system. It's very, very important. So here's the question. Are there values that you need to realign to be more Christ-like? Now, this is what I'm doing in this message. I'm jumping the rabbits. You got to run them. Now, I'm not going to jump the rabbit, run it, shoot it, skin it, and cook it and serve it to you. I'm just jumping these rabbits, and I'm going to believe that God's got enough of himself inside of you to go ahead and say, okay, what must I do about my morality? Let me do a morality check, and let me position that piece of furniture in the house of faith in the proper place. Our morality, our morals must be placed properly, folks. You never put a couch in the kitchen. Number two, he says, I want you to add to this some knowledge. 
I love the way he has faith and then he says, add to your faith, virtue, moral excellence, not knowledge, because sometimes we just want to add knowledge. And that's why some of us know the word of God so well, but our morality doesn't line up with what we know. We know more than we do, actually. Yes, we are. We're, someone once said we're, we're taught far beyond our ability to obey. And it may be true, but this thing of knowledge, because the knowledge alone puffs up and so is tempered by this moral excellence. It, and knowledge means very simple, to know God, to know him. And, and I only know a couple of ways to know God. Uh, first of all, I don't think you automatically know God. I've had people all over the years say, I've been knowing God since I was a little bitty baby. No, you haven't. No, no, I don't believe that. Or I know God. So the only way I know to know God is to spend time with God. Is to spend time in his word because his word is his nature. His word is how he thinks. And so you spend time in the word of God, not becoming a Bible scholar. I'm not interested in you becoming a Bible scholar. What I'm interested in is that you become a person who understands how God thinks and you act like God. I didn't say you would be God. You would act like God. If you have his nature, you, you, you understand, I have a cat, and by nature, that cat is selfish, standoffish, and she meows, and every now and hiss at me every time I try to put her outside. You know, that's, but that's her nature. And I don't expect my cat, our cats, we have two, I do not expect them to act like a dog. They're not going to come in, you know, <laughs> they're just cats. And God expects us to be cats for him or dogs, depending on your preference. He expects us to act like he acts, to know him, to know his ways, and to know how he feels about things. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever ask God what he thinks about certain things? It would be good to do that. Well, what do you think about this? How should I act like right now, God? How do I handle this situation that's before me? What, what is this all about? You know, it's more than just information. It's more than just marking a scripture. It's, it's knowing the nature of God. Actually, knowing God equals what the Bible calls the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ. We don't always hit it perfectly. You know, we're not walking around like with our antennas perfectly in tune. Got, you know, it's like God flowing through me and I got every thought perfectly of God. But you know what? You ought to have your antennas up and you ought to have the receiver turned on and you ought to position yourself to where you can hear from God. And so the question here is, are you spending time with God and getting to know him? Are you doing that? Are you blocking out? If we're too busy to spend any time with God, we're too busy, and most people are very, very busy, and most people are too busy on frivolous things that have no eternal value, and that's the truth, and I've been in it myself. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. You know I'm talking about the truth. You know, I did something one time because people were saying, I'm busy, I'm too busy, I don't have enough time, and I, I kept hearing that as a pastor, so about 50 years ago, I sat on my desk for two days, and I scheduled out every moment of every day of a person's life, work, sleep, eat, Family time, cutting the grass, changing the oil, I mean, personal hygiene, you, you name it. And I came out that at the end of that, after I had scheduled out and budgeted every minute of every day of a month, that there were 16 hours left over. 
Try that. You don't want to try that because that's just like a budget. You don't want to know how much you spend and what you spend it on. I remember one time we did Friday night by five, we did a budget thing. And on the second day, I told everybody to go ahead and write down what they spend in 30 days, every dime. And at the end of that 30 days, I said, raise your hand. Tell me what you spend your money on. What, what, what surprised you? And one woman said, I can't believe how much money we spend on dog food. <laughs> I had no idea how much money. See, so your time, uh, you have no idea unless you write down what you do for 30 days in a row. And if you'll do that, you'll find out that you are wasting some time. I can't believe how much time. I'm spending doing this. So are you spending time with God and getting to know him? The third thing he says, now I want you to add self-control. So let's put a piece of furniture in your house called self-control. Or what I like to say, self-government. Self-government. And if you don't think self-government is not important, I want you to think about it when you leave here today and look at that white line down the center of your street or your highway. Because most people govern themselves there. They stay on the side of the street. That little old white line, they stay on the side of the road. And so it is with us, self-government. So self-control, oh my goodness, don't talk to me about self-control, pastor, because I lose my temper. You know, I lost my temper two times this week, folks. May I confess to you <laughs> that I lost my temper two times. I mean, I didn't lose it like it, it didn't, I didn't lose it. I had it. I, I didn't lose it. I knew it was there. <laughs> How many of you have lost your temper in the last 16 years? Raise your hand. Okay, you know, so, so let's not play a game like I am in perfect control. Um, I never do that. We lose temper, you know, and, and, you know and, and the thing about me this week losing my temper twice, I had a right to lose my temper. I ain't said nothing else. <laughs> if they would have done what they were supposed to do, I would have never, ever lost my temper. It ain't over yet. I'm still in this thing. You know what I'm talking about. Because some point in our life, We've got to learn to control our words and our deeds and our actions and those nasty things that are part of us, our emotions. We just gotta. And, and the Holy Spirit will help you because you know, if you know God right now, if you've got the Holy Spirit, you know as soon as you lose your temper, the, 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 the voice instantly comes from the Holy Spirit and says, what's that all about? Why, why, is it that important? You know right off, and then you go through all the wrangling, and you you know rebuking the devil, and you rebuking this, and you blah blah blah, blah and guilt and all this. Instead of just saying, "You're right, Lord," there's no need for me to do that. You know, you, you ever bowled at the bowling alley? You know, sometimes they put those little bumpers there <laughs> for people who can't bowl at all, and it bumps off here. You make you you think you're good, but you ain't no good. <laughs> And that's how life is. Sometimes we got these bumpers, but eventually we have to remove the bumpers off our life and try to throw a straight ball down the alley of life. Sooner or later, we, we have to have more control than we used to have. And I believe that if you'll examine your life, you'll find out that many of you are growing in self-control and self-government. You're governing that thing down. 
and you're helping yourself. And, you know, uh, I've heard so many times over the years, all these things just flood like God's in control. God's in control. And I think God is shouting from heaven. I want you to control yourself. <laughs> control yourself. I, I just think that that's what the Lord is saying. I think he's frustrated. He may be losing his temper. I'm not sure. <laughs> Control yourself. I'm speaking to you. You know where the, where the parameters are and you are over the fence. And so control yourself. Don't blame somebody else. Stay out of those places that cause you decay. Get away from those people that are eroding your character. Hang around with godly people and do godly things. Come on, let's live for God. Glory's coming. And all this stuff, man. Don't be sinning and then get all pity potty around, you know. No, no, just repent and self-control. So here's the question. What areas do you need self-control in? What areas should you look at right now? And you got it because it just came into your mind just instantly. That's the area you need to work on self-control. God's going to give you grace to do this. By his precious promises, we have become partakers of his divine nature. His grace is riding high on you. There's sufficient power to confront these things and control ourselves. And that's why we need the fourth piece of furniture. Because a sofa without an end table gripes me. How about you? I got nowhere to put my Coke, you know, my coffee. So he says, I want you to add to this patient endurance. You need patient endurance. You need to learn to pace yourself as, you know, as you race. Because everything is not going to turn out the way we thought it would. I finally come to the conclusion that life is not always fair and it doesn't always work out the way I figure it. I am not the construction expert of my own life. My destiny is in the hand of God. And I just can't make everything. Now, I work hard. I am a fixer. You come to me. I'm going to try to fix you right now. We are going to fix this thing right now. But I have to have patient endurance to run a race. And the only way I know to do this, because life is not fair, it's messed up, is to have my sights set on eternity. <coughs> Folks, listen to me. There's got to be more of our minds set on eternity than what's been going on. Now, back in the, in the early 20s when the Pentecostal movement took place and swept the nations of the world, the people of God became so heavenly minded that they were of no earthly good. I mean, people said, Jesus is coming. They didn't buy shoes. They didn't fix their teeth. They had rotten teeth and bad feet. I mean, it just, you know, they, they just, because Jesus is right here, so we don't need to educate our kids. We don't need to do anything. We just need the glory and then the charismatic movement comes in the, in the 70s and it all turns around. Now we, we, we don't even think about heaven hardly. It's like everything's bless me, get this, prosper here. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. I'm going to get this. I'm claiming this. I'm blabbing this. And now we find ourselves like in a fog now. And I just want to redirect this church back into a place where we turn our eyes towards heaven and look, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's got to be an eye 
constantly every day of your life in every situation of your life. I know you're raising those kids. I know they're bad kids. <laughs> they're driving you crazy. I know that. But there's hope. You'll raise them. They will fly away one day. <laughs> Glory to God. You know? And you, you'll, have, you'll have some peace of mind and a little bit of money in your pocket and it'll be great. But you've got to, look, when you're raising those kids, if you're only raising them to launch them into a career, you're missing God. You're raising them so that they have an interest into the kingdom of heaven. And so here's the question. Am I patiently, patiently enduring with heavenly vision? Am I patiently enduring this life with eternal vision? Heavenly vision. Because if not, you're going to be miserable. If you're riding all, if you're throwing all your money on this life, I mean, if you're rolling the dice on just this life, you're going to lose a bunch of times. But Jesus says, you know what? Stick with me. Keep your heart and your affections on the things above, not on the things that's earth, because you're hidden in God with me. And that's great. House is starting to look a little bit better, huh? Getting a little bit cozy feeling to it. But he said, I'm not through. I want you to add some godliness there. Godliness, oh my goodness, godliness. What is godliness? Godliness has been defined all kinds of different ways depending on where people are and what they want to do. This is godly, this is not godly. This, uh, this length, that hair, that, bam, 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 go here, not go there, watch this, not watch this. God, but godliness is so much more than that. I believe godliness and holiness are together and holiness means that I've been set apart by God. True holiness means I've been set apart for God. See, we always put conduct on holiness and it's... Uh, it's a valid part of that. You can't have an unholy lifestyle, an immoral lifestyle, and please God. John put it this way this morning. You told straight shooter, if you continue to sin, you're of the devil. Wow. How many of you don't understand that? Pretty plain. We read that this morning. I stopped it. I, I clicked pause. I said, Jen, did you hear that? He that continues to sin is of the devil. I'm going to let you study that a little more because you, I know your first thought is, well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> Godliness is more than wrestling down your conduct. Stop wrestling down your conduct as the first thing that you do and thinking that that pleases God. Start embracing the godliness, the holiness of God, and let the byproduct of that be a holy conduct. Because you see, when we just wrestle down our conduct, but still in our heart we want to do it, all we're doing is practicing religion and restraint instead of having that, that godliness within us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit birth in us a godly conduct. Right, does that make sense to you? Rather than just trying to be good. Man, I, I'm tired of trying to be good. I want to be godly, set apart by what God says. So the answer is, or the question is that you have to answer is, am I fully given to godliness? In other words, is my thrust in life to be like Christ? Is that really what I want to be like? Is that what my desire is? And then he goes on and he gets a little bit, now he turns it in, into other people. He says, I want you to add to that brotherly affection. It's like a fraternity. The church is like that. 
without all the junk that goes with a lot of stuff, you know. But it is, we are part of one another. That's why it's so important that you be part of one another. That's why it's so important to think that, that, that if you're just part of the kingdom, that you're part of the family of God. No, if you don't have relationships, if you don't love people, if you don't know people, if you're in this church right now and you don't know anybody but the few people that come with you to church every Sunday, and you never associate with anybody in the body of Christ except those that you come to church with every Sunday, and you're not in a small group, and you don't contribute, and you don't serve, and you don't embrace family life, how would it be if our kids were that way? And they only came to see us once a week and didn't even talk to us, just sat in a chair in the kitchen for about 92 minutes and then got up without saying a word and just walked out the door. What kind of life is that? That's no kind of brotherly affection. You, you know, it, it has, it, it's interaction. Affection is interaction. It's where I, the, the strong help the weak. It's where when somebody's in trouble, we lend a hand. Like James said last week, if you see a brother or sister in need and you can meet that need, if there's brotherly love and kindness there and affection, you're going to meet that need. I challenged you last week. I don't know how good it went over to give out of your want this Christmas season. That depressed a lot of people because you had your heart set on that thing. And I was just challenging you to give that thing away or the value of that thing away to somebody who has a need. When the thing I want can meet the need of somebody else, I believe that's godly. And I believe that's got a lot to do with brotherly affection. And I, I think we need to love our brothers. This song has been going through my head for the last, I don't know, last three weeks or so. You know, I, I'm going to try to sing just a, just a chorus to it. How's that? It goes like this. It, it, it goes, let's see if I can. I was doing so good in the car. But then when I get it in front of you, I don't know if I can do it. But it's, it, it, goes, it goes like it says, uh, come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. You see, you, you understand? Isn't it time that we start loving people? Isn't it time that we start loving the body of Christ? I mean, you're going to spend eternity with the body. Isn't it time that we start? Isn't it time that we at least start putting up with each other? Because we're all crazy. I mean, you're all weird. Come on, you got weird ideas. You look weird. You dress weird. You talk weird. You don't like what I like. If you were like me, I could get along with you, but you're not like me, so I don't get along. What? In the marriage. Aren't you tired yet of fighting in your marriage? Aren't you fed up with it yet? How many more days do you want to go through the hell that you're living at your house? When are you going to just stop? I'm talking to somebody up in here. I'm telling you, look, if you can't do anything else, just get tired of fighting. I mean, start there. It's like, my goodness, come on now. Put value on people, you know. Stay away from the things that aggravate you, you know, and then that, that cause this interaction. You know, hey, just love each other. Hey, nobody do anything personal against me. Nobody cares enough about me to do something personally against me. That's the way I look at it. Say, they're looking at you. No, they're not looking at me. So here's a question. Am I willing to do life together with other Christians despite our differences? Am I willing to do that, despite our differences? Not only in this church, but people in other churches. 
I never see so much division and all that. People, it's just so strange. People from other churches, they, it's like cultish. They, you know, the world calls it a cult. Maybe we are. You're not like us. Look, if you name the name of Jesus and you ain't living in a ditch of sin, I think we're going to be all right together. And then lastly, this last piece of furniture, I think it kind of brings all the trappings on the wall and really makes things right. And that is, he says, I want you to add to all this love for everyone. Love for everyone. You know, Jesus, he, he said this. He says, I want you to love God with everything you are. And then I want you to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. I, I, you know, I have a problem loving some people. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, look, man, they got things going on in this world that make me, you know, unless I look at it with the eyes of Jesus, uh, whew. But, but love everyone the way Jesus loves people. So very, very important. Look, here's a question for you. Do you truly love people like Jesus loves them? Which is unconditionally. Man, that's a step over to God kind of life. I'm telling you right now. Love people like Jesus loves people, which is unconditional love, which is the love that he loves you with. I mean, you want to test your maturity. This is one of the greatest tests right here, is loving the unlovable. This is how you furnish your life. This is your next steps. For some of you, you can look at this and say, these are my next steps I have to take. And the result of that is very evident in 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 8. It says, the more you grow like this, so he calls this growing, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, moving in this maturity makes you more useful, more productive as a human being, as a Christian, as a person of influence. He said, but those who fail to develop, oh my, if you fail to develop in this way, you're short-sighted, blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard, come on now, to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Everybody's always worrying about falling away and this and that. We backslide again, all that. He says, if you do this, you're never going to backslide. You're never going to fall away. Isn't that great? You're never going to fall away. And then, and here it is, and then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sort of like that vision I had. I, I think that's going to be the same way. I just think that there's this great celebration. I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know who is the, the event coordinator for that. But I know this, that this entrance, when it's all said and done, is going to be great. You know, that word grand means copious. It means big. It means a lot. I mean, it's going to be extravagant. That's the entrance that God wants to give us when we come to the place where we enter in. And folks, that dwarfs Sunday afternoon football. I, I just hate to tell you, I, some of you, I know you're sad, but that dwarfs that. So let me give you three, I'm gonna give you three quick takeaways that you can do, very, very simple. You hardly even have to write them down. 
Number one, I would really challenge you to take this and to take one day out of your life, you pick it, to examine your life in these areas and even go further and pray a simple prayer and say, Lord, would you check my heart and see where I am on this? One day, or maybe it's just a half a day, all alone, by yourself, in a chair somewhere, and just ask the Lord to search you and see what's in you. Number two, I think you need to get into a small group of people where you can discuss your journey into spiritual maturity. I believe you need to talk to somebody about your spiritual maturity. How are you doing? Some of you can do it with your spouse. Others can't. Maybe you can do it with a cousin or a brother or, or a small group in the church or somebody other. Get in a group of people. Call three ladies to your house and, and, and have coffee and start talking about spiritual maturity. You may be astonished as to what happens there. How far down the road of eternity are you? And number three, I just want to just encourage you very strongly to stay attached to your local church, the family of God. I'm, I'm telling you, for 37 years, I've been part of a local church, and, and honestly, coming together on Sunday morning, and I'm not going to exaggerate this, is just such an absolute inspiration to me. When we worship together, when we worship the king together, I am inspired, I am encouraged, I am built up, not just to make it till next Sunday, just on this road to eternity. When I see the same faces for 5, 10, 15, 20 years with relationships through thick and thin, I am encouraged into eternity. When I see people overcome insurmountable odds in their life without any help from the world, but yet the body of Christ invigorates them and lifts them up, it just does my soul good. I wouldn't trade anything for being attached to the local church. Three simple things. And I think when you come out of this and you understand this, that you're going to be a person who grows strong, adding to your faith all of the things that we just talked about. How many of you say, you know what? I think I could get up on some of this here. And I, I think that I'll be a better person, period, and a better person for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's bow our heads together right now. I just want to, what I want to do is I want to pray just a, a I want to agree with you, every one of you in this room who are believers right now, that you're not just, that you're, let's just pray. Father, that you would help us to turn our affections to eternity. That Lord, while we're on this earth, we'll be diligent in all of the things that we need to do, our jobs, our families, our communities, Lord. But Father, we want to turn our hearts towards eternity to that entrance that you're going to give us. Father, we want it to be a grand entrance, one that's filled with forgiveness and grace, and peace, and power that we'll see you face to face, Lord. And when that happens, God, we'll understand things that we so struggle to know now. I pray, Lord God, that you would encourage each one of us 
that you would fill us with your courage, God, to where we wouldn't let temporary earthly things derail us on our journey to heaven. We thank you for that, Lord. Now, if you're sitting in this room right now and you say, my goodness, I never heard such things, that there would be actually an entrance into heaven. And all of a sudden now, your heart seems to be speaking to you that you need to be right with God. You know, nobody can make you get right with God. Nobody can really persuade you or manipulate you into that. But we're people who love God and we know God loves people and we love people. And so I just offer this invitation to you to meet Jesus. And if you're like I was 37 years ago, you're just a person who's been gliding alone in life, but all of a sudden God gets a hold of you and you realize that I need to have my life right with God. You may have already been in this church for many years, but all of a sudden you say, you know, I have to get my life right with God. I want to pray with you right where you are, right there. And I believe that God is going to touch your heart. And all I'm going to ask you to do with every head bowed and every eye closed, that you'll just lift your hand up right now and say, that's me. I want that. Thank you right here. Come on, right over here to my left. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, right here. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Over to my right. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you over here. Yes, yes, ma'am. Over there. You say, that's what I want. Yes, all the way in the back. Thank you. That's what I want. I want to know God and I'm tired of living a life that's empty, that every time I grab a ring that I think's golden, it just turns to brass, just full of decay. I want Jesus. Anybody else, if you haven't raised your hand, shoot it up, say, me, pastor. That's what I want. Thank you, Lord, for that. Come on, you who raised your hand, and even if you didn't, if your heart is open to God, you might be scared, you might be embarrassed, you might not know what it all means, but something's tugging at your heart right now. Let's just pray together. And you just pray in your own way, uh, agree with me, but God's reading your heart right now. And just speak it out with your mouth. Father, in Jesus' name, uh, I've been a sinner my whole life, and I've turned my back on you many, many times. But today, I receive you, Lord Jesus. Everything you did for me at the cross, you died for my sins. I put you on the cross, Lord. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the way I'm living, but God, I'm turning to you for grace and mercy, and I'm receiving that right now. Lord, I confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I believe that you rose from the dead, and I believe that you're coming again, and I put my faith in you right now. Before I understand anything and everything, I believe you, Lord God. I give you my faith right now. And I thank you for your promises that I'll be partaker of your divine nature. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Come on now. In Jesus' good. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. 
If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.